Good morning, everyone. Today's Bible reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. Living to please God. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instruction we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in a passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, good morning, everyone. Nice to see you here in church, those who are here. And lovely to see you guys uh, watching our live stream. I'm glad you've joined us today on this important topic in the Authentic Church series, Living a Life That is Holy. Let me pray that God would speak to us and convict us this morning. Lord God, it is, it is with humility we come before you today and ask that as we... and that we would never take advantage of one another, but that we would show love to each other in the way in which we treat others but also that we would bring glory to your name by pleasing you and how we live. I pray that as I speak, Lord, you would... Uh, Sam, uh, I always change... By the, uh, by the way, I always change the names of these illustrations, right? Sam was a man in his 30s addicted to pornography. His wife felt unloved and unwanted. His mind was filled with lust and passion, but never with love. Naked flesh on the screen was far more satisfying than a real relationship. When his wife could stand it no more, she walked out. Sarah was 15 uh, when she started drinking with a bunch of youth from her church. She was struggling at home and used alcohol to mask her pain. Soon afterwards, she started sleeping with her boyfriend. At the same time, she kept attending her church and her youth group. Well, the youth group wasn't very godly at all. In fact, a lot of the youth lived no differently to the non-Christians at their school. At 17, when she broke up with her boyfriend, she would turn up to parties, get drunk, hoping to have sex with her ex-boyfriend. By the grace of God, in her mid-twenties, she gave her life to Christ and found her value in Him. Michael was a young Christian man who started dating a non-Christian girl. They spent much of the time alone. Instead of helping her to know Christ, in fact, he led her away from Christ, 
One night, when they could no longer control themselves, they had sex together. He went home filled with shame and with guilt. John was in his 50s, unhappy with his marriage, so he started an affair with a mate's wife. He attended church, claimed to be a Christian, yet engaged in sexual immorality, in fact, in adultery, until he was confronted by a Christian friend. As I put it, all hell broke loose when that happened. God calls us to a life that is holy, but whether we stand in the pulpit or sit in the pew or in a lounge at home today, we're all tempted to give in to the fleeting pleasures of sin, as the Bible calls it. And not only are we tempted, we give in and we fail. High-profile Christian leaders have been in the media recently. Carl Lenz, former lead pastor of the Hillsong Church in New York. Adultery. Ravi Zacharias, leading apologist and defender of the faith. Immorality, sexual abuse, control, manipulation. Bill Hybels, former pastor of the Willow Creek Church, stood down early because of sexual indiscretions. That's just to name a few recent ones. So whether you're in the pulpit or in the pew, this is a real issue for men and women today. Whether you're young or old, it's still an issue. Someone once said to me, well, once I get married, I won't have any problems. <laughs> Doesn't work like that. Sin and temptation is always around. Sadly, uh, some people have not only committed sexual immorality, but they have sexually abused others as well. They committed violence towards others. And we've seen in the recent news about the private schoolboys and abuse perpetrated upon girls. And it's not just private schools. People fill their minds with pornography, young people. Women become a commodity, a piece of meat to be used and abused. And they do whatever they like. Well, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul calls the Thessalonian church to sexual purity, to a life that is holy. He moves from talking about his previous visit now to the present and the future concerns of the church. As for the other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as some, in fact, are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. He's going to instruct them to keep obeying. He knows they're holy. He knows they're seeking to obey God, but he wants to urge them on to keep living that way because he knows they live in the Greco-Roman world of sexual laxity and promiscuity. And uh, in one sense, it's no different to Australia today, is it? Maybe different types of sexual uh, immorality. But we live, as I said to someone the other day, it's as if we are back in the first century, in the 21st century world. All types of things are permitted as long as you have consent. Well, let me put it this way. Things, all things are not permitted. And when you're, a, when you're a Christian, you don't give consent to immorality. And if you're a Christian, you don't ask for consent to perform immoral actions. You don't ask, you don't take, and you never give in. 
But you see, in the Greco-Roman world, uh, they, uh, especially in Thessalonica, they associate their worship with a deity called from the Kabiri. It's a certain group of false gods. And John Stott says there was gross immorality that was promoted under the name of religion, even in that cult. And it was widely accepted that in that period of time, men would not limit themselves to their wife as their only sexual partner. F.F. F. Bruce puts this uh, really well. He says, a man might have a mistress who could provide him also with intellectual companionship. The institution of slavery made it very easy for him to have a concubine. While casual gratification was readily available from a harlot. The function of his wife was to manage his household to be the mother of his legitimate children and heirs. Quite a world, right? That world in the first century. And Paul writes to the Thessalonians because that's the world in which they live. And other people might be saying, well, you know, this is how we live. This is how we do sex in our community. Get with the game. And he said, no, no, as Christians, you're called to live differently. You've come to Christ now. You no longer live the way the world lives. You can be radically different. And firstly, there's a call to sexual purity. Avoid sexual immorality, verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That means set apart for God, made holy, different. That you should avoid sexual immorality. He says avoid or abstain from sexual immorality. The Greek word is pornia, very important. From pornia. Pornia is the general word for all unlawful sexual intercourse. All sex outside of the marriage relationship of a man and a woman. That's what the word means. So whenever in your Bibles you see in the NIV version sexual immorality, it's, it's almost always translating the word pornea. And, and what God is saying is that you should never engage in any sexual activity outside of a marriage relationship of a man and a woman. That's the only thing that God tells us. Sex within a marriage, man and a woman. By the way, not an, a man and a man or a woman and a woman, simply a man and a woman. Let me make that very clear today. And in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18, he says, flee sexual immorality. I love that. In other words, run from it, avoid it, abstain from it. You need to run from it because it's always there, always seeking to tempt you, always seeking to draw you in. Maybe an image, maybe a picture, someone walking down the street. You go, whoa, that's not a bad body you're normally thinking, right? Not thinking person created in the image of God. It's, it's everywhere. Run from it. I remember a friend said to me once, he said, you know, I became a Christian young guy in 19 or 20 years of age, and there was a woman at, at his work who pursued him for a relationship. Pursued him. And... Uh, he said, I literally had to run from her. I literally had to run from her. He said, she was always around and wanting a relationship, and, and she was beautiful. But I knew that I needed to run from her. He says, temptation is everywhere. At school, at university, at TAFEs, at work, at the gym, at golf parties, wherever you hang out. And friends, let me say something that I often say to young people, and I'll be saying this tonight. When you mix alcohol with sex, you have a really dangerous situation. And alcohol abuse is a huge problem and contributes significantly to sexual immorality. 
It eliminates inhibitions. You make bad choices, inappropriate and suggestive comments. You flirt more. You find it harder to resist temptation and to resist inappropriate sexual advances. And then you wake up in the morning feeling guilty and ashamed. Someone then captures it on, the, on their telephone and they send it out to all their friends everywhere. Before you know it, you're a viral sensation. Everyone has seen you around the world. Be very, very careful. The Bible says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, means wild living, unrestrained living, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. I remember a beautiful image a few years ago that uh, there was a young Christian, young adult, and he was at a party, and uh, some of the girls were, were drinking a bit too much there. Some of the boys were. He wasn't. And this young girl was throwing himself at him. She found him attractive, and she'd had a few drinks, and ambitions were down. And this fellow, who was a Christian, loved her and cared for her and protected her. So much so that others said to me afterwards, said, it's amazing how he looked after her. Other guys would have taken advantage of her. There's something special about that person. Friends, we need to be the people who protect and save people in those situations, not exploit them. Friends, the media, the radio, the newspapers, the magazines, the internet say, go for it. Said, as long as you have consent, you're free to go for it. Don't let the Bible, don't let religious traditions, don't let your family inhibit your sexuality, reach your fulfillment. Sadly, we pick up the pieces afterwards, don't we? When people live like that, we pick up the pieces afterwards. People often ask, uh, especially young people, uh, how often can I, or how far can I go if I'm not married? Can I hold hands? Can I kiss? How much? And when you talk about affection versus arousal, and maybe you're dating someone now, you can date at 60s and 70s and 40s and 30s and uh, whoever's watching this morning. Because I'm dealing, I've dealt with some situations with people in the 70s and 80s who are touching each other inappropriately, who are not married. Do not think this is simply a young person's thing. But I'll say no more on that. Are you showing affection or are you arousing? In other words, if holding hands or kissing lead to arousal and you start lusting after the person, then you have sinned. Because God is not only interested in your behavior, but your thought life as well, isn't he? Matthew 5, 27, 28 says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I often say to people, I say, well, if you're, if you're dating and you're touching each other's body parts, be quite explicit. I'm just seeing how many kids are left. We've got rid of no children, right? If you're touching things you don't have, then you are arousing each other and causing each other to sin, right? Because the only one you should be having sex with or be thinking about having sex with is your spouse. And somewhere in this whole process of living for Christ, we need to break the secrecy, I call it. 
And I say to people, if you're caught up in a situation, you think, I'm going too far and I can't break it. I, we just keep failing uh, in our relation. We're working hard, break the secrecy. Someone has to speak out and say, we need help in this situation. Maybe because of a uh, porno, uh, pornographic addiction. It may be because of a relationship and you just keep failing to, to be holy. Break the secrecy, let someone know. But secondly, uh, he says, control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. It says that each of you, the NIV puts it this way, and most uh, versions put it this way, each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, right? Avoid sexual immorality, control yourself. The RSV, though, puts it this way, that each of you should know how to take a wife for himself. Think, why is that? Because this is one of the most difficult phrases in the whole letter here. Uh, let me give it to you literally what it says in the Greek in the English translation of the Greek, in fact. Each of you should learn to acquire his own vessel in holiness and honor. So scholars are going, what exactly is he saying here? The theme is control yourself, don't be like the heathen, in passionate lust, we'll see that comes up next. So the assumption he's talking about acquire his own vessel or take care of himself, a vessel, something you take care of in holiness and honor. Some scholars think, well, he's probably saying, that you have your own wife, someone to care for and look after and bless, and it may be a reference to that. So whatever the case, on the one hand, if it's the first case, avoid sexual immorality by learning to control your own body. Secondly, you can avoid sexual immorality by entering a heterosexual marriage and being sexually faithful to your wife. Whatever the case, control yourself, he says. And then in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. Avoid immorality, control your body, or take a wife, then you won't wrong your brother, or let me say, or even your sister. What does that look like? I spoke to a woman once who committed adultery with a man, and her reason was that his wife did not love him nor sleep with him. So it was okay for her to sleep with him. When I reminded her that she was not married to him, and she has now hurt his wife, she said, but his wife doesn't love him. That is not a good enough reason to sleep with someone else's husband. Let me tell you. You probably don't need me to tell you that. When you do that, you wrong your brother and you wrong your sister. But be careful, he says, of lustful passion like the heathen. We are to be self-controlled in the area of sexuality, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And he urges us to exercise self-control in a way that is holy and honorable, verse 4, part B. He says, you expect lustful passion from the heathen. You expect them to go out and get drunk and sleep with whoever they want because they don't have an understanding of God. They don't know God. They're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't have a greater purpose in life. It's simply to satisfy your lusts. Why not? Everyone's having fun. Let's go out. A, bit, a little bit, of, a few drugs and a little bit of alcohol and a bit of sleeping around. Hasn't hurt anyone, they say. Come on, Christians, ease up. Relax, will you? You're too strict. No, no, we do not live like a passionate lust like the heathens, but in a way that is holy and honorable. Friends, we are Christians. We know God. We know his word. We know his salvation. 
We know his presence. We know his purposes for sex. We know the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us into holy, sanctified, God-honoring disciples. But we need to let God control us. We need to God, let God be Lord over our sexuality. We need to purge our minds of things that stimulate ungodly thoughts and passions. Don't look at pornography if that is your problem. These things lead to both unholy fantasy life and sinful behavior. Fill your minds with holy thoughts and desires with soaking yourselves in God's Word. Having given instructions on how we ought to live as radically uh, as radical Christians, he gives us the reasons for sexual purity. Number one, it pleases God, verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you on in how to live in order to please God as, in fact, you are living. See, our primary motivation for sexual purity is to please God. We've been saved by God. We've been delivered from sin and death and judgment. Remember, we were broken, the pencils here, and God has put us back together again as new people. We seek to please God because we've been saved through Christ's death. Secondly, it's God's will. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you shall avoid sexual immorality. Sexual purity is God's will, and Christians love the will of God, don't we? We hope we love the will of God, right? Psalm 40 verse 8 says, I desire to do your will, my God, your law is within my heart. We need the law of God, the word of God within our hearts. We need to delight in it, not see it as a, as a hindrance to a fulfillment of life, but to see it as a joy. And further, let me be clear, you don't have to ask God for his will on this issue. I've had people say to me, well, you know, I prayed about it, so I've been dating my, uh, my, my friend, we're both Christians, I've been, we've been dating for a year now, and I prayed and I asked God, and he said it was okay to sleep together because we love each other. I smacked them down at that point. <laughs> it's like, seriously? I said, you can pray as much as you like, sister. It doesn't matter how many times you go to God. The answer will be no. It will be abstain from sexual immorality. It doesn't matter how you ask the question, whether it's in the morning or in the afternoon or the evening. It doesn't matter how many times you ask the question, God's not going to change his revealed will. Amen? God doesn't change that. And sometimes I was dealing with a Baptist assembly yesterday and people are talking. I bet I prayed. And I've got some friends who searched the Scriptures. It's on same-sex marriage. And they're good friends of mine. And for some reason, they've come to conclusion as they sought the Spirit of God. And they sought the Word of God. And they came to different conclusions to me and they believe same-sex marriage is a good thing. I said, I don't care how often they sought the Lord. I don't really care how much they study the Scriptures. God says marriage is between a man and a woman. The number of times people have said to me, well, I've talked to, to God about this, and God is happy with us. Friends, we deceive ourselves when we want to sin. Isn't that true? We convince ourselves. I can find a verse in there somewhere, convince myself to do something I want to do against the will of God. I can always find a verse in there somewhere. Thirdly, it's honorable. Each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. 
that you would be, you live in such a way that the, maybe the community, the church community will honour you and go, wow, look at how they treat others. Like this fellow, I mentioned the young adult, as he treated with honour this young girl who was throwing herself at him, wanting to have sex with him, and he sort of just cared for her and protected her and gave her coffee to drink, not another alcoholic drink, and was honoured by those in the community. Honoured by your wife, honoured by your husband. You turn up to a place and it's not like, oh, you're married to him. <laughs> or you're married to her. And people know how we behave in a society. Honourable. Loving. Christian love seeks the good of others and sexual purity is the loving way to treat others. In this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Friends, when we sin sexually, we are not seeking the highest good of others. Neither the man, the woman, nor the man we sin with, nor the person we fantasize about, nor the person in, the, in their pornographic video, nor the spouse or the parent of anyone we abuse. It is not Christian love that moves us in any of this. It is simply selfish desire. And friends, I have selfish desire, don't you, at times? And we try to cover it. In different ways. But we ought to be moved by love for others. We think through, if I act in this way, is it loving? Will it build them up? Will it create harmony in their family, in their relationship? Will it draw me closer to Jesus? Is it loving to act in that way? Fifthly, God's vengeance is avoided. The Lord will punish men and women for such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Judgment is coming upon those who continue to live in constant disobedience to the word of God in this area. And John Piper puts it beautifully this way. If you turn from the Lord as your treasure and your all-satisfying pleasure and make a master out of sex, sooner or later you will meet the wrath of God. If that is how you live, sooner or later you will meet the wrath of God. Thirdly, so how, the how of sexual purity. Friends, I think we develop a capacity to grow in holiness, to experience sexual purity through our knowledge of God. That's where it, that's where it starts. So the heathen don't know God, he says. They act in passionate lust. But we know God. We don't simply know about God, but we know God personally. We know God deeply. And the deeper we go in God, the more holy we become, the more sanctified we become, the more like Jesus we become, and bring glory to God. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in us to transform us into the image of Jesus. So God is the pathway to sexual purity. And if you're struggling with sexual impurity in mind or body, the intermediate and long-term strategy is to know God. That's what you do. If you're in bondage to pornography and fantasies or sexual immorality or adultery, let me say the immediate and long-term strategy in the war is this, know God. Lustful passion is mark of the Gentiles who don't know God. Know God, know Him better. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Friends, bought by the price, the death of Christ, 
saved. Now, we have the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We ought to honor God with our bodies. Friends, we are absolutely valuable. And let me say, our body is absolutely valuable in the service of God. When we give it over to lust and immorality, we bring judgment, we bring destruction, we bring disharmony, we bring pain into our lives and into the lives of others. Let's fight hard against immorality. We fight hard through prayer, persistent, trusting, persevering prayer. We fight hard by knowing the Word of God, studying the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, letting it transform our minds that we act like Jesus, that we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. We walk according to the Spirit, not to the flesh. And Galatians speaks about there's two ways to walk according to the spirit or according to the flesh of the sinful nature. That we have the value of Christian community, that together we support one another. And I support some others who have shared some deep things and struggles with me over the years, and I pray for them. And you'd be, you won't be surprised that as a pastor we've heard all types of things. And I was a little bit surprised last year by something I heard. But I shouldn't be. It's amazing how Satan gets involved in our lives, sometimes the most unusual sins, the most surprising sins that we commit, hoping to find value and purpose in our lives. Christian community is there to guard us and to help us. We need to be accountability. We need to break the secrecy. And we need the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But let me also say that there is forgiveness in Christ. Really important to say today because I know that I'm guilty. And I'm just taking it that you're guilty this morning, whether you're watching on a live stream or you're gathered in this building. Maybe a lustful thought, immoral behavior. And maybe no one else knows outside of, maybe you're the only one who knows of a specific sin. Maybe your partner knows. Or maybe simply the person you sinned with knows. But let me say God knows. And where do you go with that? Well, you go to the cross, brothers and sisters. If you have sinned, you go to the cross where Christ died for you, for all of your sins, all of your failures. Go to the cross and you will find grace and you'll find help to change and to honor Christ. Repent. Let me say, you need to repent of that sin. You need to be sorrowful for that sin. You don't just say it's just a minor thing, but you need to repent of that sin. And claim the forgiveness that comes through the blood of Christ, our Savior. And then seek counsel and support. Take, make decisive steps to change. Make sure someone knows that you are struggling if you are struggling and this is a major issue for you. But we come to Christ because he is the one who stands before the Father and defends us as our advocate. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. God will forgive our arrogance, our pride. God will forgive our lack of love. God will forgive our sexual immorality as well and our lusts if we come sincerely to him, trusting in Christ alone for forgiveness and salvation and trusting in him to transform us to the image of Jesus. Because I want to live a life that is holy, It pleases God, it's God's will, it's honorable, it's loving, 
and it avoids God's ultimate judgment. Our change is all made possible through Christ. And it's to him we come, it's to, to him we pray, and in a moment, it's to him we're going to sing. It's a song which says, I want to know you. You know, I say, you want to know God? If you want to overcome sin and temptation, you have to have a, a, a passion to know God more deeply and to live for him and for his glory. We encourage you to sing together and make this a prayer to God today. Speak through me for the growth of your people and the glory of your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.